Hi, this is Jeff Yoakum, a partner at SRI, and this is the ABC Partners Podcast. In this episode, we've got Jeff Yoakum of SRI. Now, Jeff's a longtime executive search professional for sports businesses, and we've known each other for years. So predictably, our conversation covers a lot of ground. I mean, seriously, you want to talk entrepreneurship? Well, we'll dive into how and why Jeff started his company, Marquee Search. You'd rather discuss growing a business, perhaps? Well, Jeff talks about how Marquee was acquired by SRI and how he knew it would be the right fit. Interested in how to get a job in sports? Jeff's been overseeing executive search in sports for over 20 years, so it's worth listening to what he's got to say on this, too. What if your organization is getting ready to begin a search? Well, we discuss how to make sure that goes as smoothly as possible. Heck, we even talk about the weather. Have a listen. Hey, Jeff Yoko, I'm so glad you could join us for the podcast. How's everything going up in Portland? Uh, going very well, Dave. Appreciate you having me on. Um, I think we just had a bomb cyclone that hit the coastline up here, and I think maybe down in your you know, neck of the woods. So we are feeling very fall-like at the moment. I think, you know, and this, I don't want to get, you know, this is clearly not a podcast about weather, but I do appreciate the way that meteorologists have defined a number of ways to keep us constantly terrified. What used to be a heavy rain is now a bomb cyclone, which, you know, I think has the desired effect. They did a good job. We're talking about it, aren't we? Uh, we are. We're talking about the weather, which I know is why everybody's tuning in right now to listen to you opine on the latest weather in the Pacific Northwest. But I think what we really want to talk about is what's kind of been a crazy, interesting year for you and your company, Marquee Search, and its acquisition by SRI. Can you can you like give everybody a little bit of background, first and foremost, those who may not be familiar with Marquee Search you know, the origin story behind it, and then let's get into how SRI approached you. So what? give me give us a little sense of the origin story. I mean, the origin story, you make it sound kind of theatrical and maybe even scientific. So Very superhero-like. Uh, yes, exactly. Well, maybe I should step back and give a little precursor to Marquis. Um, I'll, I'll say that I'll describe myself as an accidental entrepreneur. I did not... Mm go into the world thinking, I, you know, there's these serial entrepreneurs that create businesses and spin them off and, and go do something and do it again over and over. That was never what my goal was with Marquee Search. I grew up at a time, you know, if, if I go really go back in time here, the 80s was a time where Wall Street and the movie Wall Street, the movie like The Secret of My Success, Michael J. Fox winner, you know, those kinds of things at the time were in the zeitgeist for me. I started to appreciate, you know, uh, the, the glamour, I guess, of, of big business. And so when I figured out that, hey, my skills and, and athletics were not going to get me to the major leagues, I had to pivot and, and do something else. And my aspirations became big business. And so, you know, it's a little different these days than, you know, the, the connotations around Wall Street, et cetera. But at the time, it was it was a, a sexy kind of cool thing to do. And so that was my goal going into uh, school and you know, getting a business degree and focusing on, on business. I ended up tripping into headhunting recruiting. I don't know anybody that went to college to get their degree and, you know, to get to actually start a career in recruiting. Where's my class on headhunting? Right. And people, you know, <laughs> I still talk to my parents about it. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I, I tripped into the industry and uh, essentially built a discipline, built a skill set in headhunting and recruiting that was not in sport. 
but I fortunately found my way into sport, which is a longer story that I'll leave for another day. But I, I found a company that uh, had an executive search division. It was pretty nascent um, and a little bit sleepy. It was part of a three-legged stool at a company called Gameface, mm-hmm. uh, where I think we got to know you a bit. Yep. And worked for a great guy, Rob Cornelis, who's still a friend, and spent 11 years building up their search practice. And by the end, he had run for public office a couple of times. There was a lot of other moving parts in the business. I, I kind of had enough advice. That people said, why don't you go out on your own? I'm like, well, I, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I kind of had that knee-jerk reaction. And finally, enough times of hearing that, I asked a couple of clients and I said, hey, if I went out and I started my own company, would you would you follow me? And they go, we use you, you know, and so they, <laughs> they just gave me the fortitude to go do it and I and having the support to kick me in the butt to do it. And so I did. So that kind of origin was 2013 that we formed Marquee Search as a standalone executive search firm. So we didn't have the other legs to the stool, training, academy, all these other really cool things. But I really wanted, you know, it was a fastball. I wanted to be a conflict-free environment where our clients could go, you know, hey, you're, you're headhunters. That's what you do. And that's, that's, the, that's the core business. Keep it really lean and focused on that particular outcome. Exactly. And, and not worry about, you know, um, having to sell you something else, quite honestly. Right. You okay. Know? Uh, there are other things where I, I, that's that's okay to to have to do, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm a little bit altruistic and like my clients hire me to do this job. I got to do this job and not worry about any of the other you know trappings of of our business. You know, so for us, when it's purely executive search, it makes it simple for a guy that's like me. That's pretty simple. So um, that's how I got into into business on my own. Grew that, I will say, over the last eight years, we grew every year absent 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, so had had a, a nice run, blue chip clients. I, I was proud of the fact that you know, we punched above our weight out of the 23rd largest market in the country. You know, we were doing searches with global brands in sport, and they chose to use us based on relationships. Once a client used us, they tended to use us again and again. So it was really just a focus of get, kind of getting in the door. Now, Andy and I have always said that the purest measure of our success is when clients renew or hire us again and again to do different things. And it sounds like that's a similar metric for what you're currently or had been experienced with Marquee, right? The ability to keep those clients around and coming back to you again and again for for the work that you do. I think they probably hammered it in my head back in my early days in, in search. You're only <laughs> as good as your last search. Yeah, you're only exactly. as good as your last search. And, and so you're always... Whether this is a healthy thing or not, I don't know. But it, you're always justifying, you know, like they're using us. It's like, well, I better do a damn good job here. And so, you know, regardless of if it's my 50th search for a client or my first, I, it's a relationship. And it's something that you fought hard to get. You're not going to let it go by, you know, fumbling around and, and doing a poor job. Do you think that that's a combination or is it is it the same? Because clearly as an entrepreneur, right, when it's your gig, that ability to deliver again and again and again is central, right? It's your business. And so you have to be so focused on delivering or is it, is it headhunting specifically? Is it executive search has that you're only as good as your last search? Is it a combination of the two that really drove you or is it one way more than the other? I mean, I have to be a bit autobiographical here. I'd say it's, it's probably because of this being in the service industry, Mm. you know, when, when the service is you, and at the end of the night, you look in the mirror and you go, did I do a really good job for my client or not? You know, and, and we all have our nothing goes perfectly. You know, there's always like, here's the plan and here's what actually happens. But it's the result. And if that result, if you're not getting the result because you're not putting in the work and you're not, you know, and you and you're not um, using kind of the right strategy and and, and 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 focus. I don't know, man. I think I think it's just being a part of the service industry and, and feeling like you just can't let your client slash friends down. Well, clearly you were doing 
something right. I mean, you, you talked about the perpetual growth. You know, everybody can push 2020 aside because that's its own animal. But you talked about perpetual growth. And then obviously that attracted the eye of SRI. I mean, how did they approach you? How did you get on their radar? And, and, and what was that process like? You're, uh, you probably remember this from back in the day, the kind of the SFX roll up back in, I don't know, 20, oh, yeah. 30 years ago, sports marketing agencies and this kind of, yeah. you know, the, this this uh, accumulation of, of, of brands under a roof. And, and then it kind of dissipated again. It fragmented later. But I felt that that kind of happened in our in our industry, meaning executive search last over the last year, mm. private equity venture capital entered, you know, they wanted to sophisticate businesses and, and kind of take a fragmented industry and bring it together. And so there's a bit of consolidation and, you know, we'll see what that looks like in two and three years. That'll be interesting. Uh, let's do another podcast then. But <laughs> to me, that's that, that putting part, a date on um, the calendar right now. Yeah. That part of, of, uh, of having, um, this, this kind of feeling in the market that there was some movement. Um, there was no for sale sign out at Marquee Search. You know, we put our head was down. 2021 was going well after 2020 was, you know, t- tough for the entire industry. And so I just happened to start getting calls. There was literally about six, probably a half dozen calls that came in all within a month. And I was just looking around like, oh, what, what is happening? What's here? in and the I, water? You know, I started yeah, I started to pay attention a little bit to, you know, the trades in our industry to say, okay, there's some some movement. And so I'm in business development, man. So what am I going to do? I, it, it's so meta to hear the recruiter recruit the recruiter. I want to hear that pitch all day long. It's like a sponsor. You know, you want to hear the sponsor's <laughs> pitch, right? You're right. So I took I took all the calls. And I definitely don't want to sound like an elitist here, but but five of the six did not resonate. They did not hit home at all. And they didn't hit home. I think the most common denominator I felt like it was about empire building. They mm-hmm. were talking about being bigger bigger, bigger for the sake of being bigger. And I'll go back to being, you know, maybe Pollyanna and a bit altruistic here, but how am I going to sell that to you, Mr. Client or you, Mr. Mrs. Candidate or Mr. Candidate? How am I going to do that when I was, we're just talking about being bigger. My focus was on how am I going to be better? Well, ironically, it kind of took you back to the beginning with where Game Face was, right? I mean, you were talking about how do you stay very focused on this niche that you've identified and not feel like you're delivering or trying to drive people into other services. And you kind of sounds like it was headed back that way. Well, it was it was all about I'll give the credit to the CEO of SRI in London, Jim Chaplin, who philosophically he sounded when I got on a Zoom call with him, I was like, this guy's so grounded. You know, he reached out himself, not through a bunch of conduits. Hmm. Um, And he just said, I'm keen to have a call. I'm like, "Okay, I'm keen to learn what you have to say. And I listened. (laughs) And philosophically, I was like, we're aligned. And he just has a better accent. You know, it was like, man, you can sell that accent. Oh, it's, he sounds so much smarter than I, and I, I was, I was brought in and I, you know, so literally we did another, not just him, but the chairman and partners and people across the scope of the the company, we did eight or so team zooms calls uh, over the next month, mu- probably two months. And I got to a point where my wife looked at me and she goes, are you serious about this? And I go, well, I got a lot of time invested. I guess let's see what the acquisition kind of offer looks like. So and this is a pretty aggressive, fast moving romance between Marquis and SRI. I don't know if I'd call fast moving when it's, I mean, a couple of months when I was sitting there trying to go, we've got business to run. I can't be so spun up in this. You know, at, at some point I started to feel like this either has to happen or it's not. Right. I got to move on. Right. My clients have to get all of me and and Tyler, you know, my team had to get all of me. Uh-huh. And I felt like a little bit like this. OK, we're, we're getting to a point. And, and it, but they they basically said we're not in a hurry. We're in a hurry to get the right person, but not just to make, you know, kind of this this hire. And so that that was the the origin with them. Um, it's a global search firm. I mean, I'm in Portland, Oregon. It was pretty humbling to hear from a company that's got 
10 offices in major markets. Portland, by the way, is not one of the major markets, but they're across the globe and on four continents. And to get that level of interest, I thought, well, we must be doing something right to be on the radar. Did they say how you got on their radar? I mean, they, what attracted them to you in the first place? It's a good question. I mean, I think that it, it's a function. They talked to a lot of people. They, yeah. they you know, they made the rounds. Uh, and I kind of learned about some of that after the fact of like who they all talked with. And they just, they, they, for whatever reason, got their arms around us and said, this is the group that we want to bring on. We mm. feel like you, you, you're pacing with us. We can take, frankly, this was not to be Marquee 2.0. This was to, to really take level up our business and allow us to really uh, approach C-level opportunities across North America in the same way. The track record for SRI in Europe, in Asia Pacific, and Australia, New Zealand is very C-level operations types of positions for teams, governing bodies, you know, the, the sporting ecosystem. So it really helped you widen the lens on the kinds of positions that you were going to be able to seek out and help serve in the organizations. I mean, was that the greatest attraction to SRI or there other things as well? Uh, I mean, I had to finally take my own medicine and that was the advice I'd given for 25 years or more. It's about the people, you know, it's, I, I, you always boil it down when you're giving advice to candidates about stuff. You're like, how do you feel about the people? Maybe, you know, you, you love the title, the money, but the people, because that's what happens. You know, that goes wrong first. And for me, it was, it was about the people. The more I talked with each person, the more I was like, wow, these are really smart people. Mm. I can learn from them. I can hunt with them. Um, we can do, you know, professional development together. My team has been great at Marquee for years. I learn a lot from my clients, you know, but at the end of the day, where am I going to kind of get fed? You know, where am I getting that information? And I just saw, you know, Jim, Mike Squires, you know, the, the partners in this business, Mike's the chairman. And, and I thought, wow, th this is a group that I could, um, I could feel very comfortable with, I could learn from and do really great work for, for clients and candidates. How quick was that understanding that there's a good cultural fit there? Was that something that was instantaneous to you or is it something that came over the period of the months when you were doing your uh, Zoom calls? It definitely felt good the first call, but it's also a guy in London, you know, who does this for a living. Um, right. And he's again, he's I called him very grounded. He's not he's not, um, you know, slick at all. And I felt like, well, and, and there were some other kind of slick sellers on their search firms. And this just felt very um, contemporary and real. And so every every conversation I had after that was a very different personality. But all ones I said, I could totally see why they're there. You know, the guy in Australia, um, our partners in Asia Pacific, um, you know, the chairman, I was like, man, this he's just you just have to meet him to understand kind of how powerful it was. And so every conversation, you know, our partner in New York and Connecticut and L.A., um, uh, all those people, it just felt like there is a continuity and an ethos that they are doing great work. They enjoy each other's company. Great sense of humor, you know, which is nice in this business. And it's too bad. You really got to get yourself one of those, you know. Uh, go out and get yourself a <laughs> sense of humor. I mean, hopefully the English with that dry sense of humor will rub off on you a little bit, Jeff. Uh, at some point. We're, I might go to Canada and try to, you know, get some, the Canadians to help It's me a good repository it. of sense of humor. So, yeah, you're close to the border. So hopefully it's not going to be too arduous a trip for you. Let's let's shift a little bit though. Let's 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 move away from talking about your sense of humor and talking a bit about what you. I mean, you've been in this industry now for you know about twenty years, right? And I think you've probably seen uh, as broad a perspective on the industry as anyone in it. So I'm curious what you think or how what it, you know at, when people are looking for sports executives. What's what's changed over that time? Like what skills are now considered? like must-haves or essential that maybe didn't even exist when you started doing that? I mean, is there anything popped to mind? I don't know about didn't exist. I mean, mm -hmm. there's technologies and things that are that have come up, obviously. But I, I guess 
when you when you ask that question, Dave, I start thinking about the stakes just getting bigger mm. in that time. You know, there's been an expansion in our industry. There's and by that I mean there's a, a bigger ecosystem around sports than when I started in it. It's not just teams and leagues and governing bodies. There are niche sports. There are growth sports. You know, things that I didn't. I mean, drone racing league. I mean, love really, it. Um, you know, things that I mean, the World Surf League. These are things. Yeah, I mean, they're. I mean, I think they have like a world. What did they just have a pickleball? I think just came out with something that I saw. I was like, wow. I mean, and I've got friends that love pickleball. Uh, I'm missing the train on that apparently. <laughs> Fastest growing sport in the U.S. There, I mean, yeah, esports, gaming, all those things. So I think with with bigger stakes, you just have to kind of recognize that the caliber of professionals has to improve, and it can't all come from in you know kind of in the industry. We've had to tap other industries to bring new practices to play. Do you, do you find part of your job is helping candidates understand that greater breadth? of opportunity in the sports industry? When you talk about things like pickleball, do, you know, do some people just go, what the expletive are you talking about? Or are they coming to you open to those kinds of opportunities? How much is it education on your side? Well, I think there's a lot of, you know, defusing maybe um, this conventional wisdom. Like they, they come armed with preconceived notions. And we know the preconceived notions can often be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, we get a ton of no's, man. I mean, you go after really talented people, you're going to get no mm. a lot. And I think you build a reputation over a history, over a career in this industry. And so people will still probably hear me out. And in hearing me out, I'll just say, just tell me real quick, why are you saying no? And I want to understand and get in your head a bit. And if I hear the right reasons, I'll say, you've got a good read. I think this is the wrong fit for you. Um, other times, though, you'll hear something where they don't, they got a bad read. They heard something, you know, about the churn of the organization. They're concerned about turnover, you know, leadership, whatever it is. And you go, well, let me, let me give you a little bit of an update. You know, I don't think you've been, I mean, you're, everyone's busy, right? How much have you paid attention to the details like we have now that we're embedded with our client? So yeah, there's, there's a bit of deprogramming that we have to do sometimes. What about specific? I mean, obviously, I come from the sports marketing side of the equation, right? And that's just a facet of all the different ways that you can get involved in sports. I'm, I'm curious if you have specific thoughts or things that you've considered about what's happening on the sports marketing side of the ball. I mean, how are what are those roles starting to look like? And what are some of the things that um, organizations that are seeking sports marketing expertise, what are they really starting to hone in on as far as being required skills? Well, I think when I started, there wasn't talk of, and this is a long time ago, there wasn't talk of digital marketing. There wasn't talk of, of biz, you know, business intelligence, data intelligence, mm. data science. And so I think, again, borrowing concepts and, and going outside of sport to be smarter because other industries, you know, frankly, do, do a lot of things better than sport has historically. And maybe that's the impetus of like private equity and venture capital. We're like, hey, all right, Schmendrick, we're going to bring in some really talented people that, and, and bring, you know, new ideas to play. Uh, because what you I mean, you, you do this, man, there's our industry, especially team sports, there's so much triaging, you know, it's like we're triaging stuff all the time, you know, Constantly. it's like running from one thing, one fire to the next instead uh-huh. of being strategic. And I think that the, the strategic nature of, of what we do as an industry, it's like it's just not the calendar isn't turning every year and it's just, a you know, rinse, wash and repeat. So. You know, I think that bringing in some of that outside perspective of strategy, you know, and, and then also those kind of core, um, uh, you know, skill sets of, of data, you know, digital things that there are a lot of people that are way smarter than, than me about those things. But I think I mean, think about the challenges that our clients have reaching 
reaching their consumers in this fragmented media world that's very crowded, you know, that's very competitive. Um, you know, that, that I think that it takes someone that can navigate those kinds of waters often. And that's, that's a bit different than it was 20, 25 years ago. I think something else that you said that just kind of keyed something in my mind is just that the stakes are so much higher right now because of the amount of money that's involved in sports right now. I think it's, you know, I was reading, you know, I, I know you probably subscribe to front office sports like I do just to get that morning newsletter. And it struck me recently how much that newsletter looks like the Financial Times pages because of billion dollar investments. I mean, what I think FaZe Clan has just announced they're going to go public for and expecting a billion dollar offering for an esports franchise. I mean, the amount of money that's being put into sports increases the stakes so much more. Are you seeing the people who are seeking positions being much more cautious, more thorough, more um, demanding of what they want to see from the kind of people you're bringing to them? Yeah, I mean, our clients, uh, we often have, the, you talked about education earlier, there's there's education now on, on the front end. I mean, you know, just over the last 18 months, educating clients about the, you know, the reason why candidates may be, um, their risk tolerance is less, you know, in a, in a pandemic. You know, you start thinking about why people won't make a move when they were unhappy in the mm. first place. Now, guess what? Are they more prone to make a move in a pandemic or less? They're less. Now, there's, um, I think there's a lot more movement that's coming now. There's this pent, I call it pent up transients. There's this pent up transients that over the last. I got to write months, that down. Well, you can use it. it I, I, <laughs> I think I, for, for once, I think I did not hear that from someone else. I, I just, it, it's like it's like our industry. We talk about pent up demand, you know, for tickets and pent up stuff. But pent up transients, there's normal transients, and that normal transients didn't take place the last eighteen or so months, and so now there's lots of moves that are happening and will continue to happen into 2022 where you're like, holy cow. Well, it's because you didn't see that kind of move happen, you know, over the last 18 months. And and that's just the result of people feeling, a, you know, the risk profiles getting, they're feeling a little bit more bold and like, okay, I can make this move now. I'm not like, what's going to happen in a year if, if this doesn't go well. So, so are you saying like the great resignation has come to sports kind of thing? Yeah, I've heard that term a few times, and it's 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 you know kind of snappy, and it's nice to hear. It's nowhere near the it's nowhere near the pent up transients. I mean, that thing is on <laughs> that thing's on a level all its own. Let's, let's trademark that. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that the great resignation comes with people. Le- I mean, you got to talk about it in sports terms. It comes with people leaving sports. You know, that's, what if they just resigned and went to another team? Well, holy cow! What happens when they left the industry, and d- now they start to see the grass might be a little bit greener on the other side, where there's better work life balance if they weren't going to live events you know, during the pandemic, maybe, Hey, why not have a better work life balance and get paid more? I can work from home because teams are going, a lot of teams are going back to like, well, you know, we are live events. You are going to have to come to the office, you know? So people are starting to see that maybe they aren't, uh, they don't have to be in the industry. And I'll just sidebar real quick and say two years ago, if you would have asked me like, Hey, I'm thinking about leaving the industry. Do you think I can, is that a good move? If I'm thinking about coming back, I'd say, no, if you want to stay in this industry, do not leave the industry. Mm. I don't say that anymore. I mean, you have to kind of just read the tea leaves now and say, listen, if you decided to leave the industry and you went out, I mean, don't go work in the garden center or something. I mean, if you, unless you're, I guess maybe a groundskeeper, but if you want to develop a skill, you know, go, go into industry and go develop a skill. And guess what? If you want to go back to sport in a couple of years, that you it was like the dot-com boom, you know, in 99 and 2000. We, we used to say as recruiters, you get one flyer. 
And you could take a flyer during this time. You can take a flyer and come back in a couple of years if, again, your skills are kind of developed and you say, hey, I want to come back into the industry. I think that that will happen. Again, maybe talk. let's talk in a year or two and see if I'm right about that. But I, I just think that that'll be a trend that we'll see. Well, I think it's also interesting. Like when you first started, and I know when I first started working, if you had a bunch of jobs on your resume in a short span of time, that was considered a red flag, right? Why is this person keep getting to, to new roles and things like that? I think now if you're at one place for a really long time, it's almost like, well, why won't anybody else hire this person? Yeah, I agree about the, long, the longevity and loyalty. You know, well, your strengths are your weaknesses. And I, I've, I was talking to a candidate the other day who'd been somewhere for 20 years. And they're, they're in a tough spot because they need to move. And it's not going that well for them. So, um, and a lot of it is because of that perception. It's like you did it in one place and you, did, you didn't move. You didn't do it in multiple markets, at multiple sport or multiple organizations. And, you know, maybe you got pretty comfortable. And I can't, I can't agree, disagree with that. I kind of want to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, you know, we talk a lot about skill development and things like that and how do you position yourself and, you know, how potential employers are reviewing things. How, what's your thoughts on master's degrees specific to sports, whether it's sports management, sports administration or whatever? I mean, there's, there's now like over 400 of these programs out there. Are employers finding them valuable? Are they a good investment? Am I trying to make friends here? <laughs> um, I, you are speaking the truth, Jeff Yoakum. <laughs> Man. Well, I, I just was giving some advice to a school in our fine state of Oregon the other day, a new instructor, and they're starting up the pro, a sport marketing program. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I thought that you would have done this five or ten years ago because guess what? They were surprised like students are lining up for this class. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. like, you know. Anyway, you, you know the, the story there. And I try to give my best possible advice just to help them, you know, help these these students. And my I have my older daughters are that age, like navigate their careers. And so mm-hmm. I, I guess I am absolutely not opposed to advanced education. Most people in my family have advanced education in terms of master's degrees. And to that end, I think that they're very it's really smart. I think it's a very personal question and it depends. It always depends on your personal goal. You know, if you know that you want to be an attorney or, you know, in finance or in data science or something, well, you know, you probably are going to have to go get that advanced degree in some way, shape or form at some point. If you don't know what I, what I get concerned about sometimes are these, you know, younger professionals that get referred in and you have a conversation and they go and hide in school. And it's like, go develop your skills, go get a taste, you know, sample, yeah. test your thesis, find out what you like and what you don't like. How do you know unless you unless you've actually done it? So whether it's an internship or a job for a year, go do that. You know, we're, uh, we, we don't have the answers. I mean, when did I know what I wanted to do? You know, it's like I said, still trying I, to figure that one out. Yeah, I'm, I can rewrite the narrative a little bit and kind of go back in time and go, well, that's what I think I did. But, you know, I, I didn't I was at Arizona State, man. I didn't know that there was a career in sports. I literally didn't know that besides working at a, you know, an active and outdoors place like Nike or Adidas back home in Portland. I didn't know that. And so I, my answer is it's a personal decision. There are lots of really good programs. Um, it, it shouldn't just be about the skill development though. I told the person at this unnamed school, I'm like, well, the problem you have is you don't have a lot of alumni seeding the industry that you can send these people to. You can, I can talk, you know, and I can give them advice and whatever, but I'm not an alumni and you need, you know, you're not an Ohio U, you know, a Mount Union, you know, USF programs that, and there's, there's dozens of others that are really good. Oh, you know, U of O and, you know, they've got, I have friends that come through the, that are at U of O, they come, you know, they come spend time there and they come through Portland and we go out and, you know, they talk about their networks and those are powerful networks and it's much more above and beyond the skill set that they're developing. Yeah. I think we're talking about the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I did the USF program way, back, way back in the day when it was called, uh, 
I think it was sports management and kinesiology. I had to look up what kinesiology actually meant at that point in time. But, you know, having come out of that, I mean, I think what you learn in those programs is fine, right? It's, you know, it's good to, you know, read up on issues related to the industry and textbooks are generally the information in them is now kind of out of date the second that they go through the, the printing press. But what's really valuable, frankly, is the network, right? And that connection to the people who have gone through that program, the people that you meet while you're in the program. That's where I really found value. And, you know, if I connect the dots, I can connect the dots to a lot of uh, people that I met in that program, which lead me to this amazing closet that I'm doing this podcast with you in right now. It's pretty glamorous, really. <laughs> I bet. I wish we were on video for that matter. <laughs> no, we're really keeping this off of video. Now, look, I, 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 we've been at it and it's just, this has been great. And uh, I really appreciate all the time and insights that you've been able to provide in the time we've had together. But before you go, I'm, I'm interested in a two-part advice question for you, right? Because you, you work in this interesting middle point between people who are both you know, seeking employment opportunities and employers who are seeking the right people to fit those roles. What advice do you have for both of those people, like people on the search side and people on the seeking side? Let's start with people on the seeking side. I mean, what advice do you have for them to position themselves right? What When, you, when you're talking to someone, how do you come out of the gate with them to get them in the right place? What we, so we do, you know, if we're working on a search, we, we do prepare candidates in, in the right way, you know, get them in the right frame of mind, ensure that, you know, when they go into an interview, and a lot of times, how, how weird is it now? You used to walk into a conference room or walk into an office, shake hands, get a little warm up, walk into the, you know, walk to an office and start interviewing. Now you're like, Scotty, beam me into the interview and you're <laughs> right in front of a screen. Now, the good news is we've been doing this for 18 months, so people should be comfortable with it. But there's still some, hey, I see your office and this technological kind of awkwardness, you know, that, I'm sure there's a better term than that. But I think, um, one, it's just, you know, developing your own personal talk track. And you you always should know if somebody says, hey, tell me about yourself. And you, you're not, well, just look at my resume. You know, that's not the answer we're looking for. You're going to have to probably give, you know, a two-minute version of that in some way, shape, or form. So, so, so one, know your narrative. And don't, don't say something for the first time on an interview. Um, because when you say something for the first time, often you go, well, that didn't really come out like I thought it might. You know, it's a little, can I get a do over there? Guess what? Story Um, of my life, Jeff Yoakum. Yeah. So in that regard, just get comfortable enough with it. You know, you're not reading your notes. You're just like, okay, I can talk about myself better than anybody else can talk about me, better than the recruiter, better than anyone. So, you know, build your confidence by practice. um, And, and that works quite well. Um, get advice, you know, from people, you know, and I, when you ask that question, I start thinking, I, I was thinking about it from the employer side as you started, then you said, okay, let's pivot. So I had to think, you know, the, the, I, my, my mind immediately kind of went, went to the importance of the candidate journey. And I was thinking about that from the employer perspective, but mm-hmm. maybe I should have been talking about it from the candidate perspective too, because when I say candidate journey, I'm, I'm talking about what's what's the employer brand again from an employer an employer what is the employer brand if I said X organization what does that bring to mind for the candidate or for you Dave you know so if I said something it's like well what that's the employer brand that's the reputation every touch point that the candidate has during that interview process informs them about what it's going to be like ultimately to work there you have to start reading the tea leaves. And mm. if they're late for every call, if they've canceled on me three times in a row, you know, if, if it seems like a fire drill, this is the best that it gets. This right. is the best that it gets. This yeah. the right. They're trying That's, to sell I, you. Yeah. I rushed a fraternity. Guess what? When they, when I rushed, they treated me as good as they were ever going to treat me. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't, you know, once I would become a pledge, I was like, well, that wasn't, you're different now. This is different. You know? 
yeah, what happened? But I mean, I, you know, I, by the way, I didn't regret it. That was a great move. That said, I mean, seriously, you think about that from the, the candidate journey perspective, whether you call it that or not, you know, pay attention to the emails that you get to schedule this, pay attention to who you're interacting with all those touch points. You know, it was a little bit like walking into an office and, you know, and, and, and being greeted by the person at the front desk, you know, or someone that came out to say hello what were they like? And guess what? They're, they're reviewing you too. And if you were rude to the first that this happened at game face, I remember vividly that we didn't hire someone because they treated our front desk person who, by the way, was not, you know, just a front desk person. She had a huge role in our high Liz. She had a great role in our company. She said they were unbelievably rude. Guess what? They weren't to us. We didn't hire them, you know? Yeah. So De- details matter. Details matter. Pick up on it. Keep your eyes open on just about everything related to the process. That's uh, it's a great call. Let's let's flip the script. Like if you're an organization and you're beginning an executive search, how do they work well with with you? I mean, how do they get to you in the most optimum space that they could do so the search goes smoothly and effectively? Well, they they do hire us. That's the first thing. So thanks mm-hmm. for saying. You know, once once they do that, <laughs> duh. I mean, we, we have to. We're doing an intake call this afternoon, um, and and those are fun. I also tell them it's going to take some time. You know, we're going to go pretty deep. We're going to do discovery, and we're going to learn how we go out and pitch the search. And by pitch, I mean it's a non-fiction. We're non-fiction storytellers. I always described ourselves as that. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have a good pitch. It can't be false, but we have to have a good pitch. And so one, you know, we got to make sure that I think that there's alignment of these key stakeholders. The intake call we're doing this afternoon is with two people after we talked to the owner the other day. And that owner said, you know, we, you need to talk to these two people in our organization, which I'm like, great, let's get deep. And I, I sure hope I see alignment, you know, and if there is an alignment, we'll probably talk about it and have to kind of guide them towards just so you know, we're getting, a, you know, these different points of view. If they're similar congruent, that's all we're looking for. You know, we don't have to have everybody singing from the same sheet of music, but we can't have somebody go, whoa, you're, I just heard, t- you know, two markedly different answers from two different people. Right. So I'd start with, with, you know, alignment. I would start then. We, uh, what I found is SRI is phenomenally good at agreeing on timelines and commitments for the team. Like we send out a timeline in two days and that this is what's going to happen in the search process. And it sets a course for the rest of the search. So you're, you're off and running and, and our clients go, wow, that's great. Um, so everybody's clear on that and what their, what their roles and responsibilities are in that regard. Um, and then, then I guess another thing that we t- try to do is use objective methodology. And, and by that, I mean, how do we evaluate candidates? Are we comparing apples to apples? You know, are we using the same kind of methodology? Because what we're trying to do is in, ensure that, you know, we're removing um, a bias, unconscious bias as much as possible from the process. So it'll, you basically talk about um, structuring a search for a successful finish. That's how you do it. You do it up front. I begin with the and, end in mind. Yes. I mean, I can talk about this stuff forever, but I'm going to realize that your listeners probably don't need to geek out on on executive search stuff to the degree that I do. <laughs> Jeff Yoakum, this has been such an awesome conversation. It's great to connect. I know it's actually been a while, but uh, congratulations on what can only be described as a momentous 2021 for you. Thanks for sharing everything with us. I mean, this has been great. I mean, we've talked about entrepreneurism. We've talked about business acquisitions and how you got there. And I mean, what what else should we talk about? What, how can we round this out so everybody gets everything they ever wanted from a podcast? Are we presuming that they're still listening right now? <laughs> um, we are absolutely, because this has been riveting, Jeff. Yeah. 
Dave, no, I, I just I appreciate you having a platform like this. I mean, to, to be honest with you, the, the thing that comes out of what we've just gone through over the last 18 months are things like this. I think where people can sit at home, you know, can be on a run or, or in the car and, and listen to content that they want to go. Hopefully they can go find it. But there's so much great content out there. And, and I hope that this was a slice of that. And I appreciate you putting together a platform where I could share some of this information. Can't wait to come up to Portland and, uh, and grab a beer with you in the near future. Thanks again, Jeff. I'll be here, my friend. You take care. Thanks for listening to this ADC Partners podcast. For more information about ADC Partners, please visit our website at adcpartners.com.